The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing Seasons of Fear, an eighth Doctor adventure from Big Finish. I'm Father Cory Stika, taking over for Dom Bettinelli this week, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. How's it going, Jimmy? Howdy, Father Cory. Get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt and more by visiting sqpn.merch. And let me tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you're sure to enjoy if you don't already know about it. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Oh. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Most people, of course, know about it, but we got definitely share. So, yeah. Jimmy, as we begin, would you like to uh, give us a summary of this uh, Big Finish adventure? The Doctor and Charlie show up in Singapore on New Year's Eve of 1930, and while there, the Doctor meets a man named Sebastian Grail, who already knows the Doctor because he met him in his past, but the Doctor's future. He tells the Doctor he's already killed him in the Doctor's future, and soon the Earth will belong to his masters. Grail leaves, and the Doctor and Charlie go to hunt him down. They find him in Britain in AD 305, where they meet a younger version of Grail, and he's a Briton in the Roman Legion who is a worshiper of Mithras, a mythological figure that famously killed a demon bull. And he's going to open a door to his masters, who have promised to give him true immortality. But they only manage to give him a preternaturally long life before the doctor stops him, and Grail flees. The Doctor and Charlie learn that whoever his masters are, they're only able to come through to Earth every 750 years. So. They follow Grail through time and discover he's becoming darker and more evil over the years. They visit him in 1055 and thwart his plans there. But then in 1806, Grail succeeds in bringing through an advance party of his masters, who turn out to be the Nyman, a Minotaur-like race originally met by the Fourth Doctor on TV. The Doctor takes the TARDIS into the time vortex to keep the Nyman invasion force from coming through, Grail and the Nymon advance force materialize in the TARDIS, and the Doctor and the advance party are thrown out of the TARDIS into the time vortex. That's the death that Grail earlier spoke of. But the Doctor swims through the vortex and pops out in AD 305. There, uh, he changes history by telling the Roman legionaries to kill the Nymon advance party when they show up, and he convinces the younger version of Grail to give up serving the Nymon. When Charlie brings the TARDIS, the Legionaries do kill the Nymon, and the younger Grail kills his older self, aborting the timeline and replacing it with a new one. The Doctor and Charlie then go off to Singapore, 1930, and we end on an ominous note, as in 1806, a mysterious visitor pretending to be Charlie kills two characters from the story and announces that she's coming for the Doctor and Charlie. The end. Well, very good. This, this was a fun episode. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, with what little Big Finish we've done so far, it seems like they really like the time travel episodes. And it kind of makes sense. They're not limited by sets. They're not limited by budgets, you know, not even really cast. They can have the same cast do multiple characters in different time frames. So 
it, it, you know, they're not limited by the spending that the BBC was for doing these kind of episodes where they can really bounce around time. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and this also has kind of an interesting way the story is told that you have the doctor providing commentary every once in a while. He kind of talks over it saying, well, this is what we did. And then, you know, or we were here and then it goes on and tells a story. And we find out at the end that he's actually talking to Rassilon. Right. He's on Gallifrey telling this story, explaining what happened. And it's clear that there's a reason for this that we'll find out later. Yeah. Yeah. We also have at the very end the um, this strange visitor that talks with Charlie's voice that is yep. also a hook into future stories. It turns out that's the um, that's the Time Lord children's story figure Zagreus. Mm-hmm. And the doctor quotes part of the the Zagreus children's story during this episode, and and they just leave us with that hook. We don't know it's Zagreus at this point, but it's it hooks forward into future stories. Also, apparently, if you listen really closely when they're in three hundred five, the um, you can hear Dalek voices yes. in the background, and that's explained in a future story as well. So there's lots of intertextuality going on here. Yeah, it's just it's very brief, but you you hear the Dalek voice, you do hear a Dalek blast, and that's about it. But it's it's just and so it, it's right now it's kind of confusing. I'm like, why are these things in here? And it's just when, it, when you first heard the commentary part, it's like, okay, they're doing they're telling the story a little bit different. Oh, that's cool. It's like, oh no, there's more to this. This is this is part of something bigger. So that that's kind of interesting too that they were starting to do more of these uh, story arcs through their seasons, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that was that's kind of a cool idea that they were kind of exploring. But of course, the story opens in Singapore in New Year's Eve, 1930, that Doctor finally got Charlie to her promised date, although it said that he was having trouble with the TARDIS. The TARDIS was fighting him. He said it took six tries for him to land in Singapore, and something just wasn't right. You know, that it was, it was, he got her there, but it was difficult. And it turns out, well, because there's this figure that knows the doctor, says he killed the doctor, but the doctor doesn't know him because he had never met him. Sounds almost kind of like evil uh, River Song. Yeah, I like the um, the dialogue when when Grail meets the doctor and Grail is like such folly, such arrogance, you know, talking mm-hmm. about the doctor. And the doctor says, such a pleasure not to meet a yes man. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Well, I like the line the doctor says, are, are you sure you don't know, you, you, you don't, you're not mistaking me for another Time Lord? You know, I don't meddle. I, you, I don't say you must obey me. I'm not currently a glamorous woman. Of course, talking about yeah. the meddling monk, the master, the Rani. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty cute one, too. That was a pretty good one. Another bit of dialogue I really liked came from Charlie, where after the doctor has met Grail, Charlie's talking to him and says, I assume you did your usual and played the fool to get him to talk. And the doctor says, do I do that? And she says, I always assumed you did, implying that (laughs) he may not be playing. He he may not be playing. Yeah. (laughs) So Grail, you know, basically came to gloat and say, I will kill you in the future. And he takes off. And so the doctor, of course, okay, I got to figure this out, figure out what's going on. So he and Charlie goes into the TARDIS and the doctor uses a DNA scanner to find that, yes, Charlie did kiss Alex, her, her date. And because Alex is actually the grandson of this grail. 
Yeah, that's something that has to change, though, with um, the rewritten timeline. Mm -hmm. Because, and I don't know if they pick up on this in a future story or not, but uh, given how intertextual this one is, but he can't be just the grandson of Sebastian Grail if he lives, you know, 1700 years in the future. So I don't know who his, I I mean, he could be a descendant of Grail. Um, but he couldn't be the grandson. So I'm not exactly sure how they resolve that. Presumably, it would be Y-chromosomal DNA. Well, yeah. except if it's Y-chromosomal DNA, then it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be that different. Um, because So Y-chromosomal DNA is what men inherit from their fathers. Mm-hmm. And that means that you have a line of DNA that goes all the way back through your fathers and only that one that that one chromosome is mutating mm-hmm. and it's not going to mutate very much and so you're not going to have in any given generation and so you're not going to have um enough genetic variation to do this kind of magical DNA tracking in fact, you would have all kinds of men who have basically the same Y chromosome. But, you know, it's fantasy, so you can say whatever you want, I yeah. guess. Well, I thought there was a line to the end. It was kind of a quick throwaway line that, that now you can say, instead of being the, the grandson of, of Grail, that he's, he's the, the heir to a distinguished house or something like that. You know, uh-huh. a distinguished family. Something along that line where they, they kind of just threw a quick line in there to say, yeah, now he's... Now he, he's just part of the, the descendant of Grail instead of the, the grandson. But yeah, you, you might be right. That might be something to cover later. Uh, but anyways, he's able to use that DNA swab to, um, to go to the, first to the family home to where, where Alex grew up. And then eventually to an abbey in the far future that must be a Mormon abbey because they're the, the greatest genealogists of all humanity oh. like ever. So, of course, for those who don't know, the Mormons are well-known for doing genealogy. A lot of the genealogy sites are related to Mormonism because they use that for their rituals and everything. So, it's kind of interesting. But, but they figure out that, that Grail actually originally came from the Roman Empire on the British Isles in the year 305. So, they, of course, go back there, and the TARDIS picks them up, as the TARDIS does. You know, funny how the TARDIS can find things and get to the exact place it needs to when it wants to, you know? Well, it's a lot more reliable in the Eighth Doctor's time than it had been previously. So, you know, it. But yeah, it's it it's based on plot convenience when it works and when it doesn't. Yeah. So the it gets there though. It lands right the right village and everything. Or, you know, they're complaining about the rain, which is a decidedly British thing, I think. And uh, they meet the, the decidedly less evil Decurian Grail, who turns out to of course become Grail. Uh, but he's less evil now. He's actually, a, you know, a, a decent guy here, kind of a stand-up guy who's, he's eager to get to this temple and there, mm-hmm. where there, there's a meeting of the cult of Mithras. Yeah. So the cult of Mithras, uh, is a real thing. And I mean, it really did exist in history and it was common with Roman soldiers. Um, we don't know a whole lot about the cult of Mithras because they didn't leave any writings. But we do have their artifacts that we can use to figure out um, what they were about. And one of the things that we know they were about was some kind of conflict between Mithras and a bull. And they made statues of this conflict where you have Mithras who's killing this bull 
and there's like a pair of scorpions that, or there's a scorpion that's like coming for the bull too, um, and going for a particular part of the bull's anatomy, and it may have some astral connections because Taurus is a constellation in the zodiac, so is Scorpio. Mm-hmm. We're not a hundred percent sure about all this, but it's thought that it may have an astral connection. Also, they um, they had a ritual that we know about where they would sacrifice a bull and let its blood drain down over people in this kind of subterranean mm. chamber. And this was called the Tarabulium. And so uh, they're getting ready for a Tarabulium in AD th- uh, 305 when the doctor mm-hmm. shows up. And one of the uh, one of the Roman soldiers tells the doctor, "You're just in time for the bloodbath." Yep. And the doctor says, "Story of my life." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get a kick out of you know we're, we're not the only ones who do announcements during during our services. Yeah. You know, they have to have the announcements <laughs> before the bloodletting. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was that was hysterical. They, we it's, uh, here's we're all ready for the bloodbath, and here's a bunch of boring announcements about what's so, going on. So and so is going to get married next week, and you know. <laughs> Uh, it's always a good way to do that, you know. But um, as the doctor is is following Decurion into the uh, Grail, into the uh, the temple, he sets Charlie to go snoop through his his hut to figure out figure out what's you know find something, and she ends up finding a communication device, you know, and actually like a radio. She doesn't know exactly what it is. She says, "Well, it sounds like a must be a radio because I I heard a voice coming from it, and it turns out that it's it's coming from the Ordinand system." Which, because of planetary issues and, and black hole issues, can, as we figure out, find out a little bit later, can only communicate with Earth for a year every 750 years. So now we set up our time travel escapade that every 750 years they're going to be meeting up with Grail again. Yeah. The one of the things that so Grail is apparently planning on sacrificing all of the men at the Tarbulium to mm-hmm. his masters. And it's so in hindsight, it it makes sense. But Grail at this point is kind of an inverse Mithraist. So he knows that Mithras killed the demon bull, but now Mm -hmm. he's worshiping these Minotaur like beings who are like bulls. And so um, he's kind of switched sides. He's instead of worshiping Mithras, he's worshiping what Mithras killed, and they eventually tell us that um, the Mithras legend is apparently based on something that happened in, I think they said Persia, Mm -hmm. some thousand years or more earlier, when a Naimon came through there and was slain by the original Mithras. And so it it makes sense that you would pair the Naimon with Mithra, and I, I like that the writers did that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And having having Mithraism as a backdrop to this episode is interesting because they play it well. They don't overplay it, but it it does fit with this, you know, Roman British um, or specifically Roman context. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, though, the Doctor is able to stop the sacrifice from happening. Right. And thwart the uh, the Nymon from being able to come through in three o five, 
One thing that is particularly interesting is that they have a sword that, um, and this is less plausible that this because they tell sure. us eventually this is the original sword that killed an Imon back in the Persian Empire. They wouldn't really have a sword like that here on the edge of the empire in Britain, but also the the Mithraites do not believe in hurting women. Hmm. And so that's one thing that's going to come back. Now, now that's not historical, but that's going to come back and, and play a role in redeeming Grail because young Grail does not believe in, in hurting women and old Grail, who has become more evil, does. And so that's going to play a role in our end game. Exactly. But yeah, um, and even though the, the doctor and Charlie are able to interrupt the sacrifice, Grail still gets a thousand years of immortality instead of complete immortality. So that, of course, again, sets up now they need to jump forward in time. But of course, but of course you have to have the, the, the quick escape, you know, the, the harrowing escape where the temple has been destroyed, the ta- camp is being destroyed, and they have to get out of there. And the doctor's fumbling with the key to the TARDIS because, of course, he is. But they do get out in time and end up going next to London in 1055, the court of King Edward the Confessor and Queen Edith, who the doctor has apparently met before. Now, I don't think there's anything that we've seen up to this point anyways uh, in yeah. any story. I didn't look it up, but they imply that the doctor has a previous relationship with, uh, with Queen Edith, and he kind of stood her up at the altar. Well, he's, he's got a record with queens for that. He did that with Queen Edith. He did that with Queen Elizabeth the first. I mean, I don't know. How many other queens has he done that with? I don't know, but so far they start with ease. Yeah, he, he must like queens with ease. Um, but they land, and immediately the doctor picks up a radioactive source, which, of course, in 1055 would be uh, not expected by any stretch of imagination. Well, it turns out that Grail has given uh, Edward and Edith a... Uh, some jewelry and this jewelry is made from a holy metal plutonium. So he basically gave them plutonium jewelry to poison them, to kill them by radiation poisoning, but they, they suspect him. So they have fakes made up to, uh, to trick him, to make him think that they're wearing the jewelry when they're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was something that leaped out at me because plutonium is not a natural element on earth. Um, it, the uranium is, and right. you can make uranium from Pluto. You can make plutonium from uranium, but he says that Grail says that he had his men dig up. Uh, this is all because of his masters telling him what mm-hmm. to do. Yep. Um, but he had his his men dig up this this uh this metal in a mine, and then they did a procedure that where they like put it in a pile and and it, it, afterwards he could touch it but other people couldn't and it's sort of implied that that's how they turned uranium into plutonium right so they kind of have an explanation for how they got the plutonium but they're bringing it up on barges mm-hmm. and they have they have all these barges of plutonium that they're bringing to London and the critical mass of plutonium is 22 pounds. So if you get 22 pounds of plutonium together, it will go boom. Mm. And I'm not entirely sure how they're bringing it up on the barges as a result. Yeah. 
but uh, but maybe the authors of Doctor Who, maybe plutonium works different in the Hooniverse than it does in the real universe. That could be, or you know, the, there's lead there, so that would block some of the particles. But still, yeah, it, it's probably hasn't been thought too well. But obviously, the the plutonium is being used to create a reactor so that they can power a transmat device to bring the 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 his masters from the Ordnance system to Earth. And of course, the doctor has to fight to uh, to stop that. But in the process, the doctor is, is thrown into the dungeon by Edward, and the doctor thinks you know that he Edward's turned against him. And well, no, no, it's a ruse. This is Grail was being suspected. Oh, by the way, Grail is is now a bishop. He's changed his name, but he's now a now a bishop. He's also changed his religion. He doesn't think that his masters are. Um, are deities anymore? Instead, he thinks they're now uh, angels of God. Exactly. So now, now he's Christian or sort of. And uh, but this this ruse, uh, Grail gets found out, and he runs away and heads to the rooftop. And Doctor follows follows him, fights him, and throws him off the rooftop into the river. And he floats down the river to fight another day. I like how Edward the Confessor and Queen Edith are portrayed as being very smart and mm-hmm. also genuinely liking each other as you know as colleagues and yep. and the, that makes the reversal when it comes nice because they have set it up so that these are two really clever people and when they therefore announce that yeah we kind of guessed you were up to no good here it makes sense in the situation. And so I appreciate the way they did that. Uh, It was good. It was good. You know, it wasn't, uh, it it sometimes, and they kind of played like that. They had kind of cool attitude towards each other, but it was really, again, part of the ruse. So that was, that was kind of nice. But of course, like I said, Grail, Grail gets away again. And the doctor and Charlie rush into the TARDIS to this time go to Buckinghamshire in 1806. So now they're, they're moving a little bit closer to modern times, or at least, you know, more recent mm-hmm. era. Victor- Victorian era, I think that's usually kind of called, isn't it? Well, um, or is that before actually, her? I think it's before the Victorian era, but not a lot before. Yeah, so a little, little more contemporary anyways. And again, the TARDIS detects them and ends up landing in caves near the city. And I guess they're, they're, they're caves that are known in that area, um, where inside these caves is the Hellfire Club. We're visit, revisiting the Hellf- uh, a branch of the Hellfire Club, I should say, uh, comes back. Remember, we had that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure ago. we've. I'm I'm pretty sure we've dealt with the Hellfire Club before, and the Doctor explains that um, that this is a little bit after its peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says, like Benjamin Franklin was here in these caves previously, but we're after that. Yeah, and he he meets someone named um, Richard Martin, and I don't know who this is. I looked it up, but there's too many Richard Martins. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, eventually, it turns out it's not the historical Richard Martin. It's someone in, in pretending to be him. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's actually both him and and his daughter Lucy are actually crooks who are trying to swindle Grail for his fortune. Because of course, he's been living for you know, a long time for 1500 years by this point, he, uh, he's amassed a good, good fortune in, in the time frame. But yeah, we, we dealt with the health. We met the hellfire club the first time in Minuet and hell when we did that story. 
Right, which I wasn't I wasn't able to join you all for. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, when we talked about that story, that was set in the south, the US south, but it was uh similar. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the same club or the same idea, just the same movement, I guess you can say. So the Hellfire Club is preparing for a a big event and we find out that Grail is the one who founded this particular Hellfire Club. And so uh Richard Martin invites the Doctor and Charlie to meet Grail, who, of course, they've met several times before. And Grail's different this time. He's jubilant. He's happy to see the Doctor and Charlie. He invites them to stay for dinner, you know, and he's going to tell his all, all his plans and everything because he thinks his, his plan is about to succeed. He can't be stopped. It, it's, there's nothing the Doctor can do this time. Sounds like a lot of uh, villains, like Bond villains. You can't stop me, Mr. Bond. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, so one of the things that's interesting here is that there's this woman, Lucy, who is mm-hmm. pretending to be Grail's daughter. I'm sorry, who's pretending to be um, Richard Martin's daughter. And she's she's going to marry Grail. Mm-hmm. And they're running a scam on him. Um, yep. They've been... Uh, marrying her off to various men and getting their money, getting their money somehow, and then moving on to the next guy. And currently, they're doing that to, uh, to, to Sebastian Grail. And I like the reveal because the doctor passes off Charlie as his daughter in mm-hmm. this time period as well. And I like the reveal after that's been blown. It then turns out that Lucy is not actually Grail, is not actually Martin's daughter. And Charlie is like, oh, he's not your father either. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it was nice, nice little parallelism there. I'd, I'd wondered, because it's a little unusual for them to have the doctor portrayed as Charlie's father. Mm-hmm. There is an age gap between them, but normally they don't portray it that way. And to see it, to, to have the doctor pretending to be her father here was a little odd, but it makes sense in that context. Yeah, it actually worked out. It worked well for that. Now I've gotten the impression that that the crook that play, that pretended to be Richard Martin and the crook that pretended to be Lucy were father and daughter. Still, it's just they uh, were pretending to be the father, these particular father and daughter. Okay, I got the contrary impression. Yeah, uh, I mean, either know. way, it's just that's why I thought that they made it sound like they were actually still father and daughter, just father and daughter crooks instead of father and daughter important people. Hmm. So the doctor inadvertently or supposedly inadvertently uh, offends Lucy. So Grail challenges him to a duel. And this seems like this is actually part of the doctor's plan, that he wanted to get Grail to, to fight him with swords because the doctor has this special sword that he got from the Romans that he says will sap Grail's alien energy. It'll, keep, it'll make it so Grail is no longer immortal. Yeah, and I'm not really sure why they included that because Grail's not immortal yet and you don't need him. I mean, you don't need to battle him with a special sword and sap his energy to make him vulnerable um uh, mm-hmm. because eventually his younger self is going to just stab him. Yeah. And and so you they do toy with the idea of he's becoming over time he's become more um, he's become tougher, mm-hmm. and as a result of his uh, his not quite immortality, he's become harder to kill. But I don't know that they needed to do that, and it's just it seems a bit of a mess here. Yep. 
but you know, okay, fine. This this sword that the doctor is using on him is the original sword that killed an Imon, and so it's sucking energy from him. One thing they do uh, ex- they do explain in this is Nymon technology is based on the design sense of the mm-hmm. different races that they interact with, and so something may, for example, look like a goblet but it may actually be a technological device. And so this thing looks like a sword, but it actually sucks energy out of you. Right, right. And I think, I think they're using the term immortal when they really do mean invulnerable, you know, because he's... Yeah, it's a little confusing, but that that can make sense because just because you're not going to die doesn't mean that you... It doesn't mean that you can't be killed or you can't be injured. Yeah, immortal implies more permanence and, you know, you're you're going to be... You're not going to be able to die forever, you know, for eternity. So, yeah, that's that's a little bit different. But after after the doctor is able to sap this energy from him and he's wounded, he takes Lucy back to the caves and the doctor and Charlie follow and because he wants to use Lucy as a sacrifice to his masters, who at this point we find out who the masters are, as you said in the summary, are the Nymon that we first see on TV in the uh Fourth Doctor serial, The Horns of Nymon, which, by the way, was the serial that went from 1979 to 1980. It aired from December of 79 to January 1980. So it's the last serial of the 70s and the first serial of the 80s. But K92 and Romana 2 end up meeting the Nymon. So talk about the Nymon. Who, who are they? Well, they're just these big bullheaded guys, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> They're uh, they're they're a, they're a monster, and they are based on the Minotaurs. Uh, you know, Nymon and Minotaur. You can hear how they're mm-hmm. how they're this, how they're similar. Um, and the Minotaur was a mythological monster in Greek mythology that was inside the um, the maze that right. had been built. Uh, by Tatala, uh Daedalus. Um, mm. Sorry, I was using uh, the Etruscan form of his name came to mind. <laughs> and and Theseus went into the uh, to the maze and was able to defeat the Nymon, and then they just lifted that concept and used it on Doctor Who, as they often do. Right, and they're basically parasites. They go from planet to planet eating all the, the, the life forms there and move on to the next one. That's kind of, they survive by basically sucking the life out of people, more or less. I mean, it, it's that kind of deal. Through um, their horns. Yeah. Through their horns, yeah. Which is, which is not biologically what horns typically do, but okay. It works for them, I guess. <laughs> but as, as you said earlier, Jimmy, they, their technology is disguised to look at as something that's common for the place that they're at. And they have a psionic oscillator that they need to stabilize themselves in, you know, so that they can go begin feeding, which Grail finds, drags Richard back to the caves and throws him down the vent shaft. Uh, the doctor and Charlie had to crawl down this vent shaft to get in, and then Grail just throws him down it. So I guess that works, but they're all back together and they uh, get into the TARDIS. The, the doctor leads them into the TARDIS. And Grail and the Nymon who have come over end up following them. They somehow, they they say, how did you get in? And it's like, well, the doctor left the door open because of course he did. (laughs) 
Yeah. But the doctor takes off and gets them sucked out into the time vortex. So they're all by the door and he gets the door. Lucy opens the door for them and they get sucked out. And the doctor then swims. Now, this is a bit of a different presentation of the time vortex than we've had before. Mm -hmm. And this is before the 205 reboot of the series. But the doctor can he can survive in the time vortex, which he says only very strong creatures can. Mm-hmm. And we've had other parallels where, with people surviving in the time vortex before, even human people. But he hears the echoes of AD three hundred five and is able to swim towards them and pop out right. in three hundred five. And that's, okay, that kind of coheres with what they've told us before, even on TV, about time storms. Mm-hmm. And so that can, that can make some sense. He's also left a message for, uh, with Lucy to give to Charlie, which is fast return switch three times fast. Yep. And so that's how she's going to end up bringing the TARDIS to where he's planning on coming out in 305. The fast return switch was introduced all the way back in the first Doctor's time, and it's actually labeled on the TARDIS console, (laughs) which uh, it was in the first Doctor's time when we saw it on TV. The first Doctor had labeled it fast return switch, but what it does is it it, it takes the TARDIS to the place it was previously. Right. And so you hit it three times fast, it should take you back three places. So right. that would take them back, you know, the place they just were was AD 1806, and then before yep. that, 1055, and before that was um, 305. Right. And so the, it'll hitting it three times fast will take you back to 305. So that's the doctor's plan, is to get himself and the Nymon thrown out into the time vortex and then have Charlie come collect him with the TARDIS. Yep. And, of course, it works. The doctor, uh, you got the same two guys complaining about the same rain and what's going to fall from the sky. And, of course, immediately you hear thump as the doctor hits the ground falling from the sky. And he convinced them that the demon bulls are coming again and that the cult of Mithras needs to fight them. And this is, this is where the Mithras stuff really pays off because he portrays himself as a messenger of Mithras and, and, and has them do what their religion would tell them to do, which is kill the demon bulls. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> we've we've got the Nymon coming through and um and so they get to be these legionaries get to be heroic Mithraists and and kill these new demon bulls. Yeah, and they they're able to do it. They do lose a bunch of their members, but they do uh are able to kill them off. Then the doctor goes talk to Gra- to Grail, to young Grail, the the good Grail and uh convince him not to become evil Grail and work with these these uh the Nymon. And it turns out that all he wanted was just an inheritance for his marriage. He wanted to get married, and of course, he needed you know a dowry or something like that to do it. So the doctor just gave him some money, and that solves that issue. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's it's a little. Um, in terms of writing, I'm not sure I entirely buy this because um, the original Grail didn't seem to just want money; he wanted that immortality. Right. And and so it, they're trying to have it both ways and have this guy be nicer than they've previously written him. So I think right. that's a bit of a flaw in the writing. 
I like the move they made. How I would solve it is I would just change the earlier, the young grail that we met earlier in the story to match this grail so it's right. more believable. He's, he's almost naive instead of, you know, naive, naively going and following those, the Naimon instead of more willingly, shall we say. Grail shows up and about the same time the TARDIS does, of course, you know, and. Well, he's in the TARDIS. Oh, he's, no, he was sucked out too, wasn't he? No, he was still in the TARDIS. Okay. He was running around with Lucy and, and Charlie oh, that's in the right. TARDIS. That's right. Yeah. I, I forgot that whole scene where they were just running through the court, you know, Looney Tunes style run through the corridors type type scene um but the tar shows up grail comes out and threatening threatening the, the the women and uh and the doctor he tells the doctor, the doctor pray to whatever gods you have and the doctor says i do that every day which yeah. is oh okay cool yeah exactly and so uh the roman grail because he doesn't the, the cult of naimon or the cult of uh mithras doesn't hurt women he doesn't like that his future self is trying is threatening to hurt women so kills him grabs a knife and kills him the end <laughs> basically the end of him anyway yeah the yeah. end of him anyways and so that basically changes a lot timeline all all everything that happened in this up to this point was actually an alternate timeline and that fixed the alternate timeline because grail the roman grail is convinced not to uh not to follow the naimon in fact he's given instructions on how to destroy the machines the the cult of mithras d- destroys the naimons and Timeline is restored and everything's all good, right? Not quite. Except we jump forward and the doctor's talking to Rassilon and we've got Zagreus, although we don't know it's Zagreus, coming right. and, and, and kills Lucy and her father. Right. Um, and announces it's coming for the doctor and Charlie. So yep. got some... If, I, can only, I can only imagine for the people who first heard this story... You know, when it was coming out as part of the Doctor Who monthly range, it would have been, right. what is this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for someone who hasn't heard these before, it's like, okay, where are they going to take this? You know, there's, there's something going on here. Because the Doctor even, you, you know, the Doctor even says that when he took Charlie back to 1930 Singapore at the end, that things still didn't feel right. That things weren't still quite settled in time. And of course, he kind of goes, well, that's just because of Charlie and the, the massive time paradox I made out of her life. But, but it's more than that. Yeah. Just a couple more small things here. I get a kick out of the TARDIS is fully stocked for all the medical needs you could ever want, at least at this time, because it's got nanites in the control room that can st- control poisoning or can stop poisoning. When, when Charlie gets poisoned, mm-hmm. we didn't mention it, but Charlie got poisoned by a grail during the time of Edward, the confessor, uh, doctor takes her in there and then calls, come on, nanites, do your work, you know, and, and yeah. heals her. And then also has a medical wing. Yeah. That's something that I appreciate, um, them doing in this because oftentimes we'll, we'll have somebody get injured and they, they don't immediately take them to the TARDIS, which is the most technologically advanced thing mm-hmm. around. And, of course, it's going to have medical facilities, and of course, right. you would take somebody there. Exactly, and much better than what would be in pretty much any time that the that they would visit. So, and then there's a mention the first time we're in three o five of fanatical Christians, the fanatical Christians out in Londinium. 
Yeah, and they are, um, I mean, we don't have Christian characters in this segment of the story. Obviously, we do in, in the later segments. Right. But the but Christians were viewed as rather standoffish mm-hmm. compared to other groups, because in other groups, you could be a follower of Mithras and a follower of Mercury. Mm-hmm. They allude to one guy who is a Roman who's been a member of both cults. Right. And and when the doctor stumbles into the Mithras ceremony, he passes himself off as not really a fellow Mithraite. He's just trying out the different cults. And mm. one of the Mithra one of the Mithraists says, Oh yes, of course, you know, that the the way anyone should. Exactly. <laughs> and whereas Christians are like, no, sorry, one cult for me, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else you wanna talk about no i thought it was a uh i thought it was an enjoyable um outing i i i liked how it was uh a bit timey-wimey as you said mm-hmm. at the beginning we proceed through these different time periods and then back to the first and rewrite and so it it was it was enjoyable i i liked it well very good well, as we kind of close up, we've got some great listener feedback uh, that we got on our episode Terminus, the, the fifth Doctor story. Potomshik on via YouTube, Lazar is a old-fashioned term for a poor, diseased person, especially a leper from the old Oxford English Dictionary. It comes from medieval ter- Latin Lazarus, which is indeed a reference to the biblical Lazarus. So, uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, very cool. And then Ted Coville via Facebook. Uh, the cleanest air ducts in the universe. It was amazing that Tegan's white dress remained spotless. Yeah, that was pretty incredible. Won't even bring up her shoes. Like Jimmy said in the podcast, when Nissa dropped her skirt, it was fan service to her male friends. And that when she first came on the show as a companion, the BBC received a lot of letters complaining that Nissa was too covered up. I guess yeah. that was acceptable in the 1980s. Yeah, and she was very covered up in her initial appearances. Yeah. Yeah, very, they they kind of backed that off a little bit over the years, but yeah, she was very very prim and properly dressed, shall we say? So, well, thank you for those feedback. We enjoy it. I was thinking about Tegan's Tegan's white dress and how it doesn't get dirty, and I was just wondering if it could be made of the same material as um, as Alec Guinness's suit in The Man in the White Suit, which was a special uh, dirt resistant stain resistant fabric that uh that could right. revolutionize things and therefore must be destroyed exactly exactly so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of doctor who including gr peter g daphne m amanda m and nickel their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of doctor who and all the show the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits this show every week. That's it from us. What did you think of Seasons of Fear? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email at doctorwho at sqpn.com. You can also join our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor adventure, The Invasion of Time. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Father Corey. And once again, I'm Father Corey Stika. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. <laughs>